I'm Professor Neil Feinstein, and I want to welcome you to Season 4 of Conversations with the Creators. This season, we're going to salute the women who make advertising great. I look at the makeup of my classes, which are more than 60% female, and I want these women to know that with talent and tenacity, they can make it to the top. So we've filled a season with impressive execs, and we're hosting a panel discussion on the women who make advertising great on March 7th. Watch your inbox for details. To kick things off, my colleague Professor Audrey Siegel interviews CMO and advocate for individuals with disabilities, Laurel Rossi. Audrey? Hi. Uh, I am thrilled to have with us today for Conversations with the Creators, my friend, my colleague, someone who I admire a tremendous amount, Laurel Rossi. Uh, I'm going to give you the one line on Laurel, and then I'm going to ask Laurel to really fill in all the beautiful colors that make her the professional and the person that um, we are proud to know um, in our industry as, as a leader. So Laurel is the CMO of an ad tech company called Infilion. She is the co-founder of Creative Spirit, which is a certified nonprofit that finds jobs for individuals with disabilities at the best companies in the world. And that's a pretty big statement. Um, but uh, if anyone can uh, make big statements uh, come true, it's Laurel. So Laurel, welcome to today's uh, conversation with the creators. Um, this is a podcast series designed for St. John's students to introduce them to some of the, the best and brightest in our industry and to show the breadth and depth of what we can do within the advertising, uh, marketing, and tech community. Welcome. Thank you, Audrey. It's always a pleasure. I um, am so excited and glad you reached out because working with you has been in many capacities, um, trade organizations, um, direct work. It's just been such a pleasure. And I think that we are definitely in an interesting time as it relates to the advertising, marketing, tech, um, and creator business. And I'm very excited to continue to be a part of it. Um, I have the honor of working in an ad tech company called Infilion, which is, came about because of the merger of two companies. So it's been an interesting year that just happened a year ago. And I'm also the co-founder of Creative Spirit, as you mentioned, which is uh, very near and dear to my heart and just hit its five-year anniversary in terms wow. of getting the people with disabilities. So I can't believe it's been five years. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit really about your day job and how you fit in another very big responsibility in the uh, kind of co-founding and, and managing of Creative Spirit. One of the most fantastic things about being a part of this industry is that, you know, all creators, all creative types um, are totally motivated and totally spurned on by really following their passions. And I will say um, creative spirit has been a passion project for me. I have a daughter with a disability. So the topic of disability inclusion is very near and dear to me, but even if that weren't the case, this notion of pursuing your passions is an enormous motivator in terms of getting creative work done and all kinds of work done. And I notice 
that um, the number of people with side hustles in my ad tech company approaches, I think we quantified it last year, about 65%. And we actually do a side hustle day where people talk about the storybooks they write or the volunteerism that they do um, and devote a lot of their time to. I think it's an enormous boost, not only to the creator economy, um, but also to the business community. So when you think about side hustles and, and you know, one could take the perspective, well, it pulls time away from your day job. It pulls time away from the extra work you could be doing at your, you know, your paying position, the one that, you know, you, you put on your, your LinkedIn profile. Um, but I, you know, have heard many people talk about it as being a way to increase and, and enrich creativity within uh, the the kind of day job economy as well. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, we, um, one of the things about Creative Spirit has been that if I didn't have the business experience, obviously Creative Spirit wouldn't exist, right? I mean, clearly trying to find jobs at the best companies in the world wouldn't exist if I didn't know a CEO at Verizon, Voya, et cetera, et cetera. It just, that's how we got started. More importantly, using those business relationships and understanding how my passion, you know, fit within the organization um, framework of what we wanted to do with Creative Spirit. You know, they're almost symbiotic because if you think about it, inclusion, right, is the heart and soul of every organization now. And, you know, one could argue that, you know, since the George Floyd incident, that that has really taken off. It's a topic in corporate America. And we can talk about what we think is happening right now later. Yeah. Uh, but I think that um, as DEI became a topic and integral to business, I feel like Creative Spirit actually is not only a door opener for my company, but it's also something that inspires culture, not just in my day job at my company, but also in the clients that I service and the partners that we have. So I feel like whatever your passion is probably has an intrinsic value back to your business. So let's talk a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or as we so fondly call it now, DEI. Um, what's that about? And and kind of, you know, why now? Is it new? Um, and where are we going to go with that? Let's see. Let's start at the top. I um I think that the number of organizations that have invested heavily in the actual infrastructure necessary to make sure that DEI is a part of their culture um, has been on the increase for sure over the past, since 2020. Um, Before it was a much more informal process where the CEO might say, you know, this is part of our values. This is part of our value system. And would sort of toss it over to the HR department and say, make it happen. Right. Because somebody has got to, fix it. Somebody's got to make it work inside of an organization, even if it isn't broken, somebody's got to do the work. And so I think the DEI is here to stay because people have now built infrastructures around it. I think the big question is what happens in this economy in terms of continuing to support the programs and the education around inclusivity. I have had the great pleasure of talking to 50, 60 companies a year for the past five years about this topic. And there are only 12% of companies who actually include disability in the conversation. So DEI is a very complex topic. If you're talking about race as part of the conversation, 
you've got a little bit more engagement in that topic. If you talk about women, you've got a little bit more engagement in that topic than the 12% I just cited. So I think we have a long way to go in DEI when you start to think about impacting and really helping every single constituency um, you know, get their due and be and are heard inside of organizations, but more important, we need those contributions of these populations to really change culture and do and help us do better business. And that's what I'm finding in the organizations that have invested heavily, let's say in disability, we're seeing incredible increases in productivity because not only is that employee being more productive or because people with disabilities are heavily productive in their jobs, we could talk about that in a minute, um, but also their neighbor is being more productive because they have a different understanding of how work works. So talk to us a little bit about um, disability itself. And when when you're referencing disability, what are we talking about? Um, you know, I, I could say, right, that 32 years ago, the Americans with Disability Act was passed. And so isn't that enough? Shouldn't that have taken care of it? So what, what are we really talking about here? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, ADA was passed 32 years ago. And what it did was yeah. it created physical infrastructure and improvements in a lot of the geographies across the country. And here's the here's the really funny part. Um, everybody was given about 30 years to get some of these improvements made. And I don't know if you notice, I'm in New York City. So I, I'm on the subway. A lot of your students, I'm sure, are in New York City. And you'll hear announcements about the elevators that are now available to you 30 years after ADA. Well, they finally got the project done, right, in the subway system. 30 years. Um, Unfortunately, the physical curb cuts, all those fantastic things um, were put into place. But if you start to think about intellectual disabilities and the accommodations that were necessary to have people come to work, things in the private sector that need to work better so that people with intellectual disabilities, um, for instance, um, need to get their jobs done, those things just have not happened. So what and are... Because I'm sure, I mean, uh, hopefully we've got many, many students listening uh, to to this podcast. Um, and we know that um, intellectual disabilities are, um, you know, they are often silent uh, because we don't talk about them. But that doesn't mean that they are non-existent. Uh, they are widespread within all of our populations. So what what kind of intellectual disabilities are we really talking about? Yeah. So um, ADHD, dyslexia, um, certainly some syndromes, Down syndrome, Williams syndrome. Um, you think anxiety? About anxiety, the autism spectrum. Right. Um, so many mental illnesses fall under the category of intellectual disability or at least um, non-physical disability. And so when we think about what somebody needs to be productive in their job and what they need to do to get their job done, um, sometimes an accommodation, which is, that's the word that's, the, that's, that's the used, right? clinical classic word for it. Um, the accommodation that needs to be made is I need a 15 minute break every two hours. I mean, who doesn't need a 15 minute break every two hours, honestly, but that 15 minute break every two hours is 
largely misunderstood, right? If I ask my boss for that, I seem like I'm being difficult. I haven't disclosed my disability, et cetera. And so this whole path around what somebody with an intellectual disability or somebody with some accommodation needs um, should be asking for is an enormous topic of conversation and why disclosure is so important. And, and so I'm sort of going down the disclosure lane Without yeah, well, and I want you actually, I want as you go down there and, and again, I'm, I, you know, imagining students are listening and thinking, you know, but but how do I do that? And and when would I have that conversation and how do I know how I'm going to be received? Well, I think in the in the academic sector, what's really nice is you really do have that opportunity right right out of the gate to go to the Office of Disabilities and make right. sure that you're applying for your accommodations. And that's very structured. Once students hit, and what we're finding at Creative Spirit, once they hit the workforce, that formal infrastructure stops. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to get corporations to pay attention to. Nobody's asking you, even if you disclose, check the box on an Indeed application that says you have a disability. Nobody's flagging that as part of the process in an interview. Nobody's telling you when you walk into the interview or the office, nobody's telling that hiring manager that they should be understanding of the fact that you have a disability and you may need to do an interview in a different way. What was fascinating when we first started Creative Spirit, we would have hiring managers interview people on the autism spectrum, let's just say, who were this group of folks that we were having interview, it just so happened that most of them couldn't make eye contact during a meeting. What happens if you don't make eye contact during an interview? You probably don't get the job. Probably don't get the job. That's right. And so we instituted a really simple policy with our member companies. Yeah. And we said, here's what we're going to do for an interview. We're going to ask you to give us the five questions that you're going to ask during the interview or 10 or whatever the number is, but generally it's five. And we're going to ask you to give that set of questions to the interviewee and you're gonna, we're gonna ask the interviewer to be prepared with those questions. By the second question, our interviewee was making eye contact in almost all cases. So and the preparation um, was an important part of getting that comfort to be able to make that eye contact. That's right. And so the interviewer was prepared for an interview because right. think about how many wing it. Um, the yeah. second thing was there was no expectation that eye contact would be made and the interviewee was extremely comfortable and prepared. Their anxiety level was tremendously lower. And then finally, this became in the companies that we do business with a very standard way for interviews to happen. People would ask what accommodations might you need for this interview in advance? And so I say to your students who, um, you know, might be entering the job world soon. Um, think about disclosing even during the interview process, because ultimately it will be an indicator of whether or not that employer is a good employer for you in the long run as well. So let me ask you this, um, you know, past couple of weeks have been very, very um, challenging in, in the advertising um, industry, uh, particularly on in the tech sector, uh, lots of layoffs, uh, lots of companies contracting, lots of headlines about advertisers spending less, et cetera, et cetera, which makes people nervous. Um, and then this comes off the heels or on the heels of um, the pandemic and the um, the expansion of remote work 
And then the contraction of, re of remote work and people, you know, being asked to come back to the office when perhaps they were hired in a remote setting. How does this impact on the hiring process and the eventual work experience of people with disabilities? So the pandemic was a little bit of an eye opener and a uh, a boon for people with disabilities and work because it took mobility out of the equation, right? So just getting to work can be stressful. Um, some for some folks it's impossible, right? Regardless of the disability, for some folks it it truly is impossible. And so that was sort of level setting. The other thing is people with disabilities generally have fantastic um, tech skills, right? They yeah. Zoom is not something that was foreign to a lot of our candidates to begin with, right? And so the pandemic um, happened to create a lot more opportunity across the disability spectrum. The pullback and the worry, and I think you and I talked a little bit about this earlier, you know, the entire industry is really worried about what impact the recession is going to have on DEI hiring. And not just the hiring, but even the treatment of people who are currently in their jobs, because we know from our own studies, which, by the way, I'm happy to share with your students. I'll make sure. Yeah, we're going to definitely put the links uh, up on the website. Um, we know that one of the major reasons that people don't hire is given the choice between a typical candidate and a candidate maybe with a disability. Um, they would always pick the typical candidate in the past because jobs were scarce. Right. When jobs were not scarce. Of course, this wasn't as much of a factor. And in fact, we had a lot of our candidates. Um, so we're doing a lot in the marketplace in terms of educating why people need to keep their keep the heat on the hiring of people in the DEI community. Can you give us um, kind of uh, maybe a little framework on numbers, you know, where where you started five years ago, you know, where you are today, the successes you've had, maybe some of the, you know, kind of bigger obstacles that were unexpected um, and, and in your creative approach, how did you uh, overcome some of those and how did the organization do that? Well, like most things, we started out by tapping relationships that we had, right? So um, a former client who's the CEO at Verizon, um, was very open to the idea. She also is very open in general and very devoted to the DEI topic. And I knew she would be both of good uh, be a good counselor, but also be of good service to our organization because she was authentically interested in the topic. And so we put an advisory board together of, of people like that who could really help us understand how we could crack the code on corporations. The other thing that we did was we looked at the community and said, how do we start this conversation with people and have some high level success out of the gate? Meaning let's take some candidates that we knew would be open to the experiment, if you will, of disclosing, because once you come yeah. to creative spirit, you've disclosed. And that was actually a good thing for the companies because now the company doesn't have to go through the awkward question of, you know, do you have a disability? How do right. I get that disclosed? How do I talk to you about it? It just becomes natural. In the best companies, by the way, Audrey, now um, we actually are a drop-down menu in the application process. So Creative Spirit oh, actually exists nice. as part of the drop-down. So, you know, call it a euphemism for disclosing, but once you say- Absolutely. It, it also goes into a different queue, 
which is kind of nice. You kind of go to the top of the class, if you will. And so when you when I think about what it took just to get a resume on the desk of a hiring manager five years ago, and I'm thinking now about the fact that we're a drop down in at Voya, right, financial, um, in terms of how they hire people and their devotion to people with disabilities, we've come up, you know, we've come to a, a great place, I think, in our existence. We're nowhere near done, by the way. The other thing that I'm super proud of and excited about is our model has really taken root. We provide a coach for every single person who comes through our doors. And so whether you come with a job in hand and you need to be coached or we help you find a job, you are a coach life long. You are cut, you receive a coach lifelong. So where do your coaches come from? Are they within the industry? Are they um, trained in, in how, how does this happen, Laurel? (laughs) Fascinating. We started out with social workers and people who work in the disability space. And we quickly learned that they didn't have enough empathy for the corporate side, right? They didn't really understand how a company worked. And so we changed our model and we have a lot of retired corporate executives or people who just want to do something different, who have some training in the disability space. And that is our sweet spot. And you would be so surprised at how many people love, love, love doing this job. So they probably have an HR background. You know, they have, they understand corporate America and they also understand disability. And so once you get one of our coaches, that coach, the other big learning over the five years, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of telling the story quickly, is that we didn't need all the time devoted that we spent to the candidates. We needed probably as much time, if not more, devoted to coaching the hiring managers, which was an enormous part of this story, right? An enormous part of the story is we have not trained America on how to manage somebody with a disability. And that is part of the corporate training we're starting to install around the country. Right. And and that actually has been in, in kind of the entire DE&I um, ecosystem. The, the challenge is very often right, we can bring people in, but if we don't know how to welcome them, if we don't know how to provide um, the right environment for them, and if we don't train the rest of the company to um, be, you know, a positive force within in the company and in 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 this DEI process then the the responsibility falls on the people who were looking for the support uh so it it's very important that 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 happens so let me ask you this we've got uh just another couple of minutes and I want to want to ask you to give us kind of the the next 12 months you know what's on the the must do um list what you know what's hot. And then I'd like to ask you to think about again, to our students, what do you want them to, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to kind of have in mind as they are moving into the workplace, thinking about kind of the right fit for them? What should they be looking for? I think in this environment, the, I'd say five things on my bucket list for this year are Think about disclosure of all sorts and how that helps you in terms of getting what you need to be successful at your job. Don't think about the short run. And that that obviously relates very directly to disability, but being in touch with what you need culturally to get your job done, whether you have a disability or not, is super important to your success over the long run. We have, uh, on average, people coming to us 
who have had six, seven, eight, nine, ten jobs. And the one thing that we're super, super um, excited about at Creative Spirit is that our retention rate is close to 100%. We're hoping to maintain that. And I think the way to the future on that um, is to make sure that you're looking at jobs that are realistic for you and things that are super are going to make you super happy. So if disclosure is part of that making you happy and what's going to make it's going to make you successful over the long run. So that was my number one. Number two is empathy training. However, you're going to get that empathy training is super important. Read a book, read an article, talk to your professors, et cetera. Empathy training is the way um, that this world will work in the future. And I think for now, it seems stilted to be able to have to access that. But at the end, um, it's going to be really important to everybody's success. It's a skill like any other, right? You know, I mean, we're just not used to, to learning how to be empathetic, but certainly um, it's it, it can be learned. The third thing is I would take a look at a site called Jan and Jan is where you find accommodations. And so we talk about Jan site, et cetera. And is that Jan, J-A-N or two N's? Jan. Jan. If you look at Jan, you will see, you will see by um, type what kind of accommodations you might need. And there are things that you probably don't even realize affect you. You know, you might have trouble studying, you might not have a great attention span, et cetera. Accommodations are a great way to make yourself successful over the long run, even if you're self-implementing them. Sometimes it's lighting, et cetera. But take a look at that because I think it will not only be a way for you to be self-directed about your own success, it will give you an opportunity to ask questions when you become a manager um, that are leading in terms of helping somebody be successful at their job. The fourth thing is I would love to have anybody and everybody look at the creative spirit-us.org website. And if you know somebody who wants a job or wants to post a job, our artificial intelligence, our AI programming actually does the matching. And so the more you become familiar with that, I think if you're interested in tech at all, You'll be fantastically um, excited by the fact that the way that we're putting people in their job successfully is through AI. Take a look at our site. And then fifth and finally, um, I think that having conversations like these are super important. And if you are a creator in your soul, spreading the word and having conversations like this with others, doing your own podcast, doing your own work like this is tremendously important to make to spreading the wealth. Fantastic. Laurel, I know that we could go on and talk for, you know, another half an hour, uh, and I'm sure we will, but the students won't hear us. Uh, so I want to thank you, Laurel Rossi, CMO in Fillion uh, and co-founder of Creative Spirit. Um, I hope that everyone has the opportunity to listen to this, to check out the links in the, in the, uh, on the site and, and some of the areas that Laurel has suggested, uh, and then reach out share it with someone else. Um, this is important and um, we don't have a minute to waste. So thank you so much, Laurel. Thank you, Audrey. This has been Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Thanks to all our guests, my colleagues, Professor Audrey siegel Mavora, Kevin James, Christine Munk, and our producer, Miriam Prever. Keep on ideating.